Well, hello. I hope you've enjoyed the service so far. Uh, did you? I hope you clicked on um, Alex's little announcement as well. Uh, sort of sad they're going, but gee, we've all been praying for Alex and Connor as well that they would be able to, well, Alex would be able to get to Canada and bring that boy home because Australia is, of course, his home. And I hope you're watching, Connor. I'd be disappointed if you're not. Anyway, that's good news. And um, so we, we wish Alex and Connor uh, well. I hope you get your Bible in front of you, um, James chapter 1, uh, and we're going to make our way through a bit of the end of James 1 and then into James chapter 2. How about I pray for us as we start? Father, we thank you for your kindness to us, and we thank you that you give us your word. We pray, Lord, that today, using Jesus' words from Matthew 7, we'll put your words into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, look at any surf break. Now, you might see I'm, I'm, we're actually recording this, uh, John Bracht and I, uh, and big, prop, big thanks to John. He does a great job. It looks pretty cool at the moment. Um, I'm actually wearing my sort of summer, you know, summer gear. I've actually got thongs on, but don't tell anyone. Um, so, uh, but you can't see that, of course. I've just given it away. Anyway, it's a nice warm day. But I, I thought I'd think about surfing for a minute. Um, at any surf break, there are two types of people right? There's what I call the talkers. Now, these, they talk a lot about surfing. They wear the branded clothing. They say stoked a lot, you know? Uh, but when it comes to actual, well, being in the water, they, they sit off to the side. They sit on the shoulder of the wave and rarely catch any waves. So, yes, they follow the websites. They, you know, look at TikTok and follow the videos and YouTube and so forth. They follow Kelly Slater on Instagram. They do the right things. They know what to do in their head, right, but they don't do it. They don't actually surf. So when it comes to being a... Well, when it comes to surfing, they are not doers of the word about surfing, right? But then there's another type of surfer in the water. They sit where the wave will break. They sit what's called on the inside, uh, even though it may be a bit more dangerous. And they catch waves. They don't just talk about surfing, they surf as well. They don't just read about surfing, know about surfing, they actually do it. They surf. And like the first group, they watch the videos, they follow the right people on Instagram, they know what to do, but unlike that first group, they actually put it into practice. So when it comes to surfing, they are doers of the word about Surfing. Come with me to James chapter 1, verse 22, where James writes to these scattered Christians, uh, persecuted Christians. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James tells his readers, and God speaks to us today by his apostle, Be doers of the word. Put the word of God into action. Knowing God's word means nothing without doing God's word. Okay, well, here's our plan today. I hope you've got some, maybe some scribble down some notes. You can see the headings on the, um, on the, on the screen as we go through. Uh, our focus will be on James chapter 1, verse 19 to 2, verse 13. Now, I hope you've already read that as part of the, the service. Uh, we're first going to look at, and try to understand the importance of God's word, the word of God, and then we'll spend a good chunk of time seeing what being a doer of the word looks like in practice. Now, James gives us three examples of that. One is getting rid of anger. Uh, two, uh, what is pure religion? It's not a dirty word, so don't, don't go down that path. Uh, and finally, being a doer of the word of God means we don't show favouritism. 
So let's go to our first point then, the importance of the word of God. Let's pick things up in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, James writes, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So the medicine, did you pick this up? The medicine that we need to remove hateful anger and and moral filth is in verse 21 to humbly accept the word planted in you. If you look back at verse 18, that's the word of truth through which James's readers received new birth as Christians, through which we are saved if you're a Christian today. And there's an ongoing responsibility to accept that word in our daily life. God's word not only gives us life, it, it, it transforms our lives. And so James goes on, and again reinforcing the importance of the word of God in our lives, he goes on to say in verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. If you accept the word, you do what it says. And we're going to come back to that actually next week. We're going to spend a good chunk of time on, on, on that idea. So James next offers what's meant to be a funny sort of ridiculous analogy, and it's in verse 23. A person who hears the word, so they've heard it in church or whatever, then fails to put it into practice. It's like someone who looks in a mirror and walks away and immediately forgets what they look like. I wonder if, did you get a chance to watch Beck's little video, uh, Kid Spot video? Uh, you really should, for a whole range of reasons, uh, because Beck looks ridiculous in it. But th- that's one reason, um, which is a bit of fun. But it's, she's got it spot on. Absolutely spot on. See, we're meant to laugh at this. It's meant to be ridiculous. We're meant to laugh at this forgetful mirror gazer and then realise that hearing the word without doing it is just as ridiculous. That's what we're meant to do. It is stupidity. Well, in in verse 25, James writes that whoever does the opposite to that mirror gazer, right, uh, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, that person will be blessed. James refers to this word of God, that word of truth planted in us uh, by the Spirit, as the perfect law that gives freedom. And when we don't forget it and do it, when we put that word into practice, well, we'll be blessed. Actually, Jesus says something very similar in Luke chapter 11, verse 28. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Friends, don't, don't buy the lie. Don't, uh, don't fall for anything else. The good life, if you want to know what the good life is, the blessed life, the blessed life is being a doer of God's word. But here's the trap that so many of us Christians fall into when it comes to doing the word of God. Uh, we become like this guy. Now, you remember him? Uh, mastermind a great movie kids movie yeah but he has a huge head doesn't he huge head see he's so full of knowledge and stuff but he's out of proportion with his body and that's the doing parts of his body let me try to explain why i've used why i've used this as an illustration you see we know that christianity is about hearing and learning 
And this is good and right and proper. Don't get me wrong. We believe in a God who speaks to us uh, through his word and the Bible. We should listen to it. We should know it. But here's the trap we can fall into. It's when our hearing and learning become the goal in and of itself. When our brains become so big and so full of learning, they're out of proportion with our bodies. We're not putting what we've learned into practice. And our bodies, you see, are are what's used to be doers of what we know. It needs to be in proportion. The problem is this. When listening to the words in the Bible and understanding their meaning come to be seen as the primary act of godliness. You see, knowing more of the Bible is not the goal of the Christian life. It's simply the means by which God strengthens us to live a life of faith. Let's not be confused, though. Sermons, uh, Bible study groups, reading your Bible every day, these are all really important. But they are not central acts of godliness. These things are what God provides us with for a life of obedience. This is what one author wrote. It's in that James book of devotions I'm reading through by John Dixon. Uh, Really helpful. Uh, Doing is impossible without hearing, but hearing without doing is worthless. Okay, well, let's shift gears a little bit and let's put the word of God into practice. James gives us three examples in our passage today Uh, The first of which I guess we've already touched on already, and that is uh, get rid of anger, uh, the word of God in practice. Halfway through verse 19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now again, we're going to explore this in in a lot more depth at the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4, I think a couple of weeks' time. But human anger, quarrelling, fighting, are contrary to humbly accepting the word of God. You'll notice too that James gives two other instructions for his readers to take note of in verse 19. Essentially, James says, this is how Christians should communicate. This is how we should talk to each other. First, be quick to listen. Second, slow to speech. And third, slow to become angry. Too often we're very good at speaking. we're very good at letting people know our own thoughts and and opinions about even my rights. We jump straight into showing how important, how smarter I am than you, how much more I know than you. Let me speak. Let me just say something, as some people say. Uh, It's it's why social media can, can be a dangerous thing. Because social media seems to be set up, or maybe it's just the way it's, it works these days, but it seems to be set up and designed so I get my point across. Here, I'm sharing about me, this is what I think, this is my opinion. Uh, it's not set up for listening. It seems that way to me. Maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. But friends, that's not love, is it? Those things aren't love. Instead, being quick to listen, that's love. That's the heart of humility in communication. It is an act of love. It's an act of selflessness, of saying your opinion matters. Of course your opinion, my own opinion matters too, but but your opinion matters. I'm going to listen to you. And friends, it's wise. It's wise to listen. Listening uh, is is wisdom. So Proverbs 19 verse 20, you'll see it up on the screen now. Uh, Listen to advice and accept 
discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Let's look at another, another of James's examples of putting the word of God into practice about being doers of the word. Uh, it's number three, I've got it there, you can, it comes up on the screen, uh, practice pure religion. A lot, of, a lot of Christians get a bit, get a bit fidgety, a bit nervous, or, or just plain hate it when we when we when we talk about Christianity as a religion, right? We just just gets our back up, um, and yeah, there's a good reason for that. It's probably another sermon though. But let's see what God says about the religion that counts. How does God define religion in His Word? So come with me to verse 26, chapter one, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein of their tongues, on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, James has more to say, as we said just earlier about controlling our tongues in chapter 3. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks' time. But for now, James just points out that not reigning in our tongues shows that our religion is worthless. How we speak matters. Religion in James's mind, then, is the outward expression of our faith. Now, we can do that in the way we speak, but we can also do it by looking after, to, to the, looking after the poor. So the religion that God accepts as pure, pure and faultless is defined in two ways. Caring for the world's poor and avoiding being corrupted by the world. See, religion, religion defined by the word of God is not a dirty word. Okay, let's look at those briefly, those two aspects of religion that our God and Father accepts. First, caring for the poor. Now, orphans and widows were the most un, underprivileged group in James's day. They had little rights, little way of earning any sort of income, little power, no status in society. There was no social welfare in the Roman Empire, so many lived in poverty. Pure religion, says James, seeks to rectify this. Pure religion looks after the needy so as to ease their burdens. Now the early church took this very seriously. You might remember back in Acts chapter 6, the Jerusalem church basically set up this fantastic meal roster to look after destitute widows. And then also in Acts chapter 11, this was only a few weeks ago, wasn't it, in our series on Acts, when the church at Antioch sent gifts to Jerusalem through Paul and Barnabas. Now the church at Jerusalem and the area of Judea were suffering through, or uh, uh, in the grips of a famine and, um, and drought. So pure religion uh, seeks to rectify that uh, and look after the needy in, in their distress. Now the second aspect of pure religion, uh, says James, is keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. Now don't think sex, drugs and rock and roll here, uh, type of pollution, in other words illegal substances and that sort of thing. Um, and gee, rock and roll gets a bad name, doesn't it, in that sort of expression? Ah, it's sad. Anyway, the context tells us that James is thinking more about socio-economic pollution in other words, greed and materialism, or what some, some modern commentators called, uh, call affluenza. Now, I, I couldn't show the video because we've got copyright problems with uh, YouTube and so on, but um, if you go onto YouTube and search uh, teenage affluenza, there's a World Vision video that they uh, put up uh, back in 2007, so it's pretty old and it shows, it, it's clearly old, but 
Gee, it's a good video. It's really good. Teenage affluenza. You could get rid of the word teenage. We can all suffer from affluenza, right? Greed and materialism. And you see, the next verse in 2 verse 1, James gives us an example of this type of pollution, uh, of favouring the rich over the poor in our meetings, giving them the best seats in the house, treating them differently as they walk into the gathering. Friends, today, poverty is more prominent, more severe and more easily rectified than in any other period in world history. When James urged his readers to look after widows and orphans, he couldn't point them to compassion or or tear fund or world vision, nor could he direct people to Anglicare or the Salvos or Wesley Mission. The reality is our opportunities to express pure and faultless religion far exceed those of James's day. We are without excuse, friends. Okay, let's move on to this third example of being a doer of the word. It's something we've touched on a few times already in our Acts series, hasn't it? Uh, Particularly in Acts chapter 10 with with Peter. That is to not show favouritism pure and faultless religion in practice. 2 verse 1 gives us the first reason we are to avoid favouritism towards the rich uh, because we are believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That is, we believe, if you're a Christian, we believe in the ascension of Jesus, that in, in in the one whom God has exalted to his majestic right hand, we believe he's, he is sovereign, he rules the world uh, at God's right hand. And when we truly get this, when we understand this, well then all criteria for measuring our relative glory sort of vanish into thin air. You see, shortish people know not to measure their height when in the presence of the tallest man in the world. In the same way, Christians should know better than to measure their relative importance when meeting in the presence of Jesus Christ, when God's people are gathered together. Gold rings and shabby clothes are meaningless compared to the riches of Christ's majesty. But there's another reason why we must not show favouritism in our gatherings. Showing favouritism in any form breaks the fundamental command of God's word, the command to love, which is found in what James calls the royal law in verse 8. Love your neighbour as yourself. Now, it's the royal law because God's king, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, summed up the law quoting those Old Testament words from Leviticus. So Matthew 22 verse 37, I read it out to you. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Here's the royal law from King Jesus, summing up uh, all the law and the prophets. If we as God's church show favouritism in whatever form, whether it's socio-economic, political, racial, or even in terms of one nationality over another, we are rejecting the command King Jesus considered central to, to Christian living. Love your neighbour as yourself. When we love one another in Christ's love, you are always, we are always at eye level. You can neither look up at someone or look down on them. 
everyone who comes into our lives is at one level, whether rich or poor, black or white, impressive or unimpressive, whatever. God loves equally, so must we. I want to close by telling a bit of a, a story, a true story of, um, well, abbreviated story. There's much more to this guy and, and his wife, uh, but you, you can read that um, I'll tell you in a moment, actually. But Daniel Matthews is who I'm talking about. He's a doer of the word of God, someone who followed the royal law, the command to love. Now, as I said, you can read more about him and his wife uh, at the, the Centre of Public Christianity's website, uh, publicchristianity.com. I think I've got it on the screen. Um, But Daniel Matthews was a 19th century Australian who lived with his wife Janet on the Murray River uh, near Echuca from the 1860s to about the turn of the century. The family ran a successful business and owned a large piece of land along the Murray River. Pretty normal story so far. But Matthews' life changed dramatically after a, a defining incident where he was confronted by the desperate poverty of local Aboriginal people. He and his wife decided to do something about it. And much of the rest of their lives was dedicated to the service of the Indigenous people in that area. It was an era when many Europeans regarded Indigenous people as subhuman. Uh, And and it was in that context that Daniel Matthews became a relentless voice for Aboriginal issues. He gave a large percentage of his land to the local Indigenous community when he discovered that it was treasured by them. He set up a mission that provided medicine and food and education for the Aboriginal people in the area, as well as Bible teaching. Uh, Maloga, I think it's pronounced, as this place was called, became a refuge for Indigenous people um, all the way into New South Wales and Victoria. More than once, Daniel was shot at and uh, or beaten up for breaking into fellow settlers' homes and freeing Aboriginal girls chained up to beds for white man's pleasure. With all this going on, his family went bust. Uh, Daniel's, Daniel Matthews' life of service cost him. It, it, it cost his, own, his business, but also his, his health and his reputation. Uh, many people thought he was bad. And in the eyes of white society, he was a loser. He had no success. So what was the motivating force behind, behind all this madness, as people said? Well, Daniel and Janet... Matthews followed Christ as Lord. Jesus and his word was the centre, the controlling force in their lives, which meant everything else fell under that commitment. Well, later in Matthew's life, a journalist from Melbourne came to write a story on him. The story went through a lot of what I've just mentioned. It ended with these words. On visiting Maloga, one gets the distinct impression that our life has been given away. And amazing, what an what a incredible summary of, of his life, a life that has been given away. See, I reckon these words capture brilliantly the radical nature of Jesus' royal, lo- royal law of love. Let's pray that we too can be doers of the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. Uh, We thank you that you are um, a God who speaks. And so, Lord, we pray that, uh, as Jesus said in Matthew 7, we we build our house on the rock as we put your words, Lord Jesus, into practice. Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.